In between uh, the Bible class and the morning worship this morning, uh, Eddie came back to the back, and I was standing there with Brother Martin, and he said, you know, well, somebody's got to introduce him. I introduced him at the Bible class, and I said, well, I will, because I, I was the only one there if Keith hadn't got there yet. Otherwise, Keith would be up here doing this. But it was, it was interesting to know, and I, I didn't know his affiliation with the Memphis School of Preaching at the time, my mom, she spent 18 to 20 years there as one of the uh, secretaries. And just a couple of weeks ago, they did a uh, luncheon for her and, and thanking her for her service as she was retiring. And uh, he made mention of that because I asked him, he made mention of Memphis in the, in the Bible class. And I asked him, well, what, what part of Memphis? And, and he mentioned his affiliation with the school of preaching there. But Brother Martin has been preaching in about 40 years, 40 plus years, I guess you would say. And so he started when I was about 10 or 11 years old. So that kind of gives you an idea of his age. But um, he's been a clinical director, or is a clinical director at Ambridge University. And that's where Connor is in school at. So a lot of uh, connections that are made here with the family here at Midway today. Uh, and he's been married to his wife, Denise, for 47 years. Great accomplishment. I'm looking forward to being able to say that with me and Marcy one day. And they have four children, three boys and one girl, and they have ten grandchildren, and they hit the nail right on the head because they got five boys and five girls with the grandkids. So uh, we're honored to have uh, Jerry and Denise with us today, and I'll not take up any more of his time. I'm supposed to turn this on. I think I can handle it. The green light's on. Isn't that just like a preacher to arrange for a speaker to come in and then the elder to say, I'm not going to introduce him. You're going to introduce him. Yeah. I don't want to introduce him. Uh, I don't know him. How am I going to introduce him? Uh, it is in Christ always a blessing uh, as Brother... Um, Brown was mentioning to get to know each other and find out we really do know each other, know more about each other. And I mentioned the fact that I'd uh, heard him speak at his uh, mother's appreciation banquet. And um, he said something there that I'm going to use a little later in the presentation about caring for the caregivers. He said something at his um, mother's appreciation dinner that he and his sister had uh, had a conversation. His parents both have uh, some health challenges now, and he said it's our turn to take care of them. Uh, they took care of us all of our lives. It's our turn to take care of them. And that's really how God designed life to be and why we are part of families, not just our physical families, but part of a spiritual family. And Brother Brown mentioned that I have a lot of connections. I have the Memphis Connection, and my wife and I preached in this area for Ten years, five years at Gwin, Alabama, and five years at Blackwater, Macedonia, and so we um, had interaction with you and gospel meetings and vacation Bible schools, and uh, I directed a week at Indian Creek Youth Camp for 31 years. Last year was my last year to be the chief of my week, 
I'll be back this year with a new chief and just kind of showing him the ropes, but we love camp. And so we know a lot of your young folks through our, our efforts at, at camp. So we're kind of interacted uh, in a lot of different ways, interconnected. Uh, I've known your preacher for a lot of years, and I appreciate you sharing him with us by allowing him to work with polishing the pulpit. That has affected so many lives in so many ways, and uh, I know that taxes a congregation to have a preacher who's involved in other things, but I can assure you that's furthering the cause of Christ. And Denise and I haven't gotten to know Mark and, and his good wife and the good work that they're doing. We appreciate you doing that. I mentioned Connor being one of our students at Amherst University. We need more Christian counselors, and he's seeking his counseling degree, and um, uh, Satan is brutalizing us. You know, we convert folks out of the world, they're broken, been traumatized by all of Satan's shenanigans, and we have all the intentions of saving their soul. We baptize them into Christ, and then we don't know how to help them be whole and functioning. And so we need more Christian folks who are trained to help the whole person. And again, I appreciate you allowing uh, uh, Connor to uh, further his education. I said all that to say there's a lot riding on me doing a good job. I could really have a ripple effect here. If I do a bad job, it's going to affect a lot of people in a negative way. And so I'll try to do my very best to address the uh, topics that were assigned to me. As I mentioned in Bible class, I am a minister who counsels. I didn't set out to be a counselor. I wanted to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And I wanted to make sure that I shared the saving message of the gospel with others because someone had shared it with me. That's still my passion. That's still who I am. But I'm wise enough to know that people expect a lot of things out of ministers. They expect them to be able to counsel about a lot of different things in life. And I did not have that life experience. I was a young preacher at the time, about 25 years old, and I, I just didn't have all I needed to address that. The Bible has all the answers, but if you don't know how to take a person who's distraught, and mostly at their wit's end, and help them be calm enough and coherent enough to hear what the Bible has to say, then you're likely not to be able to help them, and I truly wanted to help them. And so that's who I am. I have degrees after my name, not because I'm trying to impress someone, but because I really want to help everybody I possibly can. And that being said, the God of heaven, the all-knowing one, the one who spoke everything into being, humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. We are encouraged in verse 5 of that context to let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just so we know what kind of mind that is, that is a mind of a servant. Not the first time that we have that connection with Jesus being of a servant mindset. We know from his own lips, he said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's what he came for. And so he is the example of compassion and care. 
So what we're talking about, as we did in Bible class, about end-of-life decisions for us to say, we want to use our life to the fullest while we're here serving the Lord. We want our bodies to be living sacrifices unto Him. We don't want to be conformed to the world in any shape or fashion, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. But we also understand that since the Garden of Eden, that there has been the realization that we're going to die. We're not going to live here forever. We don't have access any longer to the tree of life. And as soon as we take our first breath, we start that journey toward death. So we ought to prepare for that, and the closer to that we get, we ought to make some decisions so other people don't have to make those decisions for us. And we had some conversations between... Bible class and worship that kind of underscores what we're going to be talking about this hour. And being conscious of respecting other people's decision, encouraging folks to make those decisions while they can, but also doing everything we can to care for them, but accept the fact that we can't always provide everything that needs to be provided. But as Sparks and I were talking about a family member of his who were aged and Families made decisions uh, intending to prolong and enhance life, and it didn't turn out that way. And said it wasn't the loved one's decision, it was the family's decision, and it turned out not to be the right decision. So the, the proper thing would be for us to make those decisions when we can, so that others don't have to grapple with that. Sister Gewen and I were talking, I had the good pleasure of meeting the widow of uh, uncle Grady uh, Gewen, he's not my uncle, but I lived in Gewen, and everybody there was kin to him, and they called him Uncle Grady, so he's Uncle Grady to me. And she was telling me the last years of his life and him battling with Alzheimer's, and she took care of him at home till those last few months. She shouldn't do it anymore. Had to have help taking care of him. Her consolation is that he didn't know he was in their nursing home, but she knew she couldn't provide the kind of care for him at that particular context in his existence here. Those are tough struggles to be dealing with, aren't they? And those who are caregivers need us sometime provide care for them. I'm going to share some passages with you and then some personal illustrations with you that, that I think can be helpful to us as we try to decide what is it that we can do to assist and help the caregivers. And I have great admiration for you to designate a Sunday and say, we're going to talk about being caregivers. We're going to talk about different aspects of that because that's really who we are as a family. That we look out for each other and that according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, we are fitly joined together by that which every joint supplieth. The passage was read a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It emphasizes our understanding that Paul was talking to the Corinthian Christians about his desire for them to have understanding. When you turn to the second letter that he wrote and you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 4 and 5, he talks about not just our understanding, but our compassionate participation. Listen to these words. Who comforted us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them 
which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves were comforted. You see, that wouldn't have deep meaning to you unless you went back and looked at what was said in verse 3. That is directly linked to God, and it said that blessed be the God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. And since He's the God of all comfort, and since He is our God, He's our Father, He's our example, and we follow that example, He says we're to comfort each other in the same fashion that He has comforted us. That's significant, isn't it? That makes it a different standard. That causes us not to compare ourselves with ourselves and, and feel defeated, but to look at God and say, any action that I take is out of mercy and care and love and compassion. But he's speaking to a group of people. He's speaking to Christians in a particular city called Corinth. And he's saying to all those Christians, here's your responsibility to each other. Here's your opportunity with each other. Comfort one another with the same kind of comfort that you've received from God. You see, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that's comforting to us, isn't it? We recognize that we could not remove our sins, and that we're hopeless without Him providing for us redemption through His Son. That's comforting to us. He did that for us, and we could not do that for ourselves. Now, there are circumstances in our lives when we're just not going to be able to do it by ourselves. We're going to want to. We're going to intend to. We're just not going to be able to. And God has placed us in a spiritual family that will help us do that. I'm going to share a brief story with you that has fixed that example in my mind. When you look at Galatians chapter 6 and you look at those first two verses, in a spiritual context it tells us and, and challenges us that we are to make sure that if any of us is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Then it says something. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law. Bear one another's burdens? All of us want to be able to take care of our own responsibilities. And in verse 5 of that same context said we should. We ought to bear our own burdens, but there comes a time when we can't. We look at our children, there are some things that physically they could not pick up and carry, and so we pick it up and carry it for them, because they don't have the capacity to. Now, the anticipation is they will grow older and stronger, and, and they'll be able to do those things themselves one of these days. When I was... About six years old, I mentioned in Bible class, I'm one of 11 children. And so we lived on the, uh, the rural part of Arkansas. My father's property joined the Louisiana line, so that's how far south in Arkansas we were. My father's one of the last of the small-time farmers in the area, and so he had all these field hands, 11 kids. And I'm number eight out of that 11. And when mother and daddy and the older siblings would go to the field and and chop cotton. I just thought that would be the most fun of anything you could do. Go out and play in the dirt all day with a hoe. That looked like they were having so much fun, and I thought, well, I want to go. My father's chore in the morning while the chickens are being fed and the cows are milked, my father would take all the hoes, the 
for you younger people, these uh, garden utensils where you get the grass out of your, uh, your cotton or you thin your cotton out, but he would sharpen everybody's hoe. So I'd go out every morning and I'd say, uh, can I go to the field with you today? And I'd get the same answer every time. He'd say, no, you too little. Well, I hated that. I thought, I'm big enough to carry a hoe. So one morning I went out, before I could get the sleep out of my eyes and, and formulate my request, he handed me a hoe he'd cut the handle off of, and it was a little short thing. And it was like Christmas to me. I thought, this is great. I get to go and play in the dirt all day today with everybody else. And so I couldn't wait, and we all lined up, and like little ducklings, we all marched out to the field, and I was just beaming with pride, and I thought, I can't wait to start digging in the dirt. Well, he paused, and we happened to be, I don't know how Alabama folks are, but southern Arkansas folks, when you plant the cotton, you plant it real thick to make sure it comes up, and then when it all comes up, you have to thin it out. So we call that chopping cotton, to thin it out. And when it got grassy, we called that hoeing cotton. You had to get the grass out of it. So anyway, I didn't know all that. I just thought you were playing in the dirt. So I get there, and we're chopping cotton. We're thinning cotton out. And so he shows me how to take a hoe blade, and, and you just thin that out, and you take a step, and you, you thin that out, and, and it didn't look too hard. And tried it, and he said, no, no, don't chop down all the cotton. It just needs to be a hoe blade. And he showed me how to do that and how to thin it out. And so I thought I could do it, and I was busy playing in the dirt, I thought, and uh, I looked up, and they were way out ahead of me. And I thought, well, I'll get better at this. And, but all of a sudden, the sun was larger than I'd ever seen it before. It was gigantic. It was beating down on me, and it was so hot, I thought, it's not a lot of fun out here. I was up at the shade tree and play in the horse trough, and, and this wasn't as much fun as I thought. And... Um, I took a couple steps toward the house with my hoe on my shoulder, and my father said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go to the house. And he said, no, and I won't ever forget this as long as I live. He said, no, you're a big boy now. I thought I wanted to hear that. I thought that's who I wanted to be. But that didn't sound good now. A big boy, man, I had to stay out here in this hot sun, and it's not fun out here, and this isn't playing. You have to do something. And I didn't know what depression was then. I do now that I'm a counselor. I was depressed. That's a hopeless condition when you can't see any way out. I couldn't see the end of the cotton roll. And they were busy doing their business, and they got further and further ahead. And then I had a little trouble seeing them. They're getting so far ahead, and I'd look up, and there's sweat in my eye, and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I'm going to die out here, and nobody cares. I thought these people loved me. Why would they do this to me? And just about the time I thought, I can't take another step. I got to a place where my father hold a skip in my row. Now, if you're not a farm person, that doesn't mean anything to you. But if you grew up on a farm, that means he did for me what I could not do for myself. I can't describe to you how good that felt. He hoed his own row, he thinned out his own cotton rows, and he caught me up. And I'd run and catch up with them, and I'd fall behind again. And either mother or daddy, one of the older siblings, would, would catch me up. 
They did that less and less the longer I was in the field and the more I learned until I got to the point where I could hoe my own row. And they didn't hoe skips in my row anymore. And then I had younger siblings that come to the field, and guess what? Sometimes they'd say, catch your little sister up. Now, wait a minute. I'm hoeing my own row here. What do you mean, catch them up? That means sometimes in life, people need help. That's true in Christ, isn't it? We mentioned that passage from Galatians chapter 6 a moment ago, how we are to bear one another's burdens. You see, I grew up in a family environment where that's what we did. Not just in that cotton field, but that's what we did as a family. That's what we still do as a family. That's what Brother Brown was talking about they were going to do for his parents. Their parents hoed those skips in their row, so to speak. Along the way, they took care of them when they couldn't take care of themselves. And now when their health is failing, they understand something. There are some things they can no longer do for themselves. It's time that we do it for them. God designed it that way. We ought to do for ourselves what we have the capacity to do, but we ought to be recognizing of the fact that there are some times in our life when we can't. We are caregivers sometimes when we want to take care of our family responsibilities. But it's around the clock. There are no breaks. We ought to be willing to offer to each other. The first thing we have to do in those circumstances is to recognize what the needs are. You see, you can't bury somebody's burden until you pay attention to a person's life and realize what they're undergoing. My family knew where I was. They'd all started that same way. They knew what that experience was of chopping cotton, and they knew I had to learn that. They knew I needed some help catching up. They knew I'd get to the point where I could do things for myself. And so they're not taking over all my responsibility. They are helping me navigate through life. Everything I function in today is according to those principles. I described to you why I went back and got my counselor's degree so I could emotionally help hoe a skip in people's row. And I share that with them. When they come in for counseling, I don't want to take on all their burdens. I don't want to have all their problems and I go home and I can't sleep because I'm worried about all their problems. What I want to do is help them identify their strength, give them a certain mental respite so that they're just a little skip in a row and I use that illustration with my clients. That's who I want to be as a therapist. It is, I just want to hoe a skip in the row along the way. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 it says, As you therefore have opportunity, do good unto all men. Now listen to this. Especially unto the household of faith. Pay a special attention to those who are in your spiritual family. Look for ways to, opportunities to do good for each other. If someone's caring for a loved one, and it is a round-the-clock responsibility. Make sure you develop a relationship with them and you recognize what their needs are. In the second place, that you... Respect them enough to make a request and say, what can I do to help? You don't want to just do something without asking permission. It might insult them. They might think that you think they're not doing a good job. So you have to have a conversation about it. Recognize there's a need. And then you make a request to them 
can I help do this or that? It may be that you sit with that loved one while they go buy groceries. It might be that you be like my aunt and uncle who were members of the, of the church in, in Arkansas when, when I was a, a young man and I'd go over to spend the night with my cousin and there was a period of time for a week or two they kept a young man that was early 20s but he had the mind of probably a two-year-old. He was bedfast. He had to wear this big diaper and he couldn't talk or communicate. They'd have to feed him baby food. My aunt and uncle kept that young man so his parents could have a respite. They cared for him around the clock all the time. My parents, my aunt and uncle being Christian folks, saw there was a need. Had a friendship with this family. Was close enough to them to make a request and say... Show us how to take care of him. And took care of him in their presence long enough for them to feel comfortable leaving him with them. I won't ever forget that lesson. I mean, it was around the clock for my aunt and uncle while this couple was away. But think what it might have meant to that couple. For someone else to be compassionate and care enough to treat their son the way they would treat him. And allow them some time just to go and be together and, and rest up. Look at how many people are present here this morning with all kinds of circumstances in our lives. And none of us are getting any younger, are we? That means there's going to be occasions in our life just through the aging process where we're going to need each other. Do we know each other well enough? Do we respect each other Enough to be there for each other and to care for the caregiver. Sometimes tragic things happen. Don't have to be old for those to happen. And family members have to give special attention for the recuperation and, and care of a loved one who's maybe injured. Are we close enough to them? Maybe we should rephrase that and say, are we compassionate enough? Are we willing to... Comfort them with the same comfort wherewith we were comforted. Can we have those conversations? You see, we talk in this hour about caring for the caregiver. You get burned out. And if we don't give each other respite, there's a beautiful passage found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. His name is only mentioned twice, but in both times his name is mentioned. He's mentioned in the context of a very positive Christian who refreshed the Apostle Paul. His name is Onesiphorus. And Paul said, he refreshed me once and again. Mentioned him by name and said, he refreshed me in my afflictions. We know Paul's imprisonment. We know some of Paul's circumstances where a lot of tragic things happened to Paul. And here's a person who made opportunity to make Paul feel better, to lift his burden, to, in essence, hoa skip in the row along the way so he could catch up. And he never forgot it. He knew his name. Through the Holy Spirit, it's recorded for us to know his name. These thousands of years have passed, and I just mentioned Onesiphorus' name in your presence because he cared for a caregiver. 
Paul's heart was taking care of people. He sacrificed for people. And there were people along the way who cared for Paul and sacrificed for him. And he acknowledged it. That same Paul that said, comfort one another with the same comfort that you have received. That's who we are and that's what we do. In a practical nature, in a congregation this size, there are all kinds of circumstances. We need to talk to each other like family members. And again, if you make requests of someone to help, you keep that private. You don't have to tell everyone you're helping. Again, the person that you're helping may feel like if everybody began to say, I understand that so-and-so came by and sat with your father. They may feel like that that person is saying that, like, how come you can't take care of your father? And so that people get a little sensitive about their circumstances. So when you're dealing with people's family business, just keep it people's family business. And you do that because of who you are and your compassion for that person. And you be respectful of the context. If you witness certain things in the care of that person, and maybe that person gets to the point where they say things they wouldn't normally say or do things they wouldn't normally do, don't go out and share those kind of things with people. You see, that's not the kind of comfort that you would want to receive from others. So you don't share those kind of things. You provide an opportunity for that person to have respite. When I was getting my postgraduate hours in counseling in the Memphis area, I worked with hospice. You know, supervision is fairly expensive, and so hospice provided my supervision, but I had to provide volunteer hours. Some of those hours were direct counseling of, of people who were uh, in hospice as, as patients and clients. Some of that was counseling with family members of those clients. Some of that was just going buying groceries for people. They'd give me a grocery list, and I learned to shop just like they would shop. They'd tell me where the bargains are, and don't buy this brand, it's, it's 20 cents more, and guess what? I learned to be a good shopper. I'm not too good to do that. Sometimes a family member wanted to go get their hair fixed. Somebody had to be with their loved one. They couldn't be by themselves, and I'd just go sit with them. I'd play checkers. You know, I've listened to war stories. I did all those things because that particular family needed that at this time. I learned lots of things that are fascinating about people. Just the human spirit is inspiring. To realize how people face death and, and how families knit together and they weather these kind of things. To be a part of that was an honor to me. I treasured that. We have built into the body of Christ those kind of opportunities. Now, if we just see each other here, that this is Caregiver Sunday, where we're fully conscious there are a lot of people giving care to people, our people, the people of God. You know, when you hear the Old Testament passage that echoes has echoed throughout the centuries. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's not just verbalizing, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. It's by emphasizing that we do what the Lord expects us to do.
what he did while he was here. And we know according to Acts chapter 10 verse 38, he went about doing good. That's who he was. That's what he did. And he didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. So as you look around and you just think mentally at this time, you think emotionally at this time, you think spiritually at this hour, the number of people who could be ministered to would probably be scores of them that Mike could just use a skip in the row just long enough to catch up. Just long enough to clear their minds. Just long enough to reflect on how much they love their loved one and then get back busy doing those things they want to do, caring for their loved ones. Do you know 34 million U.S. citizens are providing unpaid care for their loved ones? That's significant, isn't it? That means we know somebody doing that. It means the probability is we are somebody doing that. What a ministry we could carry out as a body of Christ if we just paid real close attention to each other. I'm not talking about being busybodies. I'm not talking about forcing your way on folks. I'm talking about just being a member of that family. Realizing they're maybe falling behind and hoeing that row. Realize the sun is beating down on them. They feel like everybody's going on ahead and they can't see in the end of the row. It's overwhelming. They can't sleep good because they know it starts all over tomorrow and if I could get a head start... And they close their eyes in restless sleep because it's endless. If a brother or sister in Christ could just allow them to sleep, don't worry about them. You go to the bedroom, close the door, sleep. I'll watch them. Show me how you want them cared for. Show me what to do. I'll do it just like you want it done. Please let me care for them. Just sleep. When their eyes open from that sleep, they will be comforted with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted. Because God done that for us spiritually. There's a beautiful passage, and we'll make application to where we are. You see, we're going to care for our loved ones, but we need to learn to look out for each other. The flip side of that is this. If you are caring for a loved one, you are the caregiver. Let me encourage you to allow people to help you. That's who we are. That's what God wants us to do. You rob people of God-likeness. He robbed people of having the mind of Christ, of taking them on the form of a servant if you don't let us serve. Let us help you serve. Serve each other. The Lord in the great Sermon on the Mount described it that way, didn't He? 
When he talked about us being the salt of the earth, if the salt loses its savor, it's hit for good nothing to be cast out and trodden on the foot of man. That's who we are, and so let us practice who we are. You are the light of the world. Cities set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all in the house. Did you hear that? He gives light to all that are in the house. We're in the house of God, the church of the Son of God, the family of God, the church. Let our light so shine that men may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. If there's any place where that comfort ought to be practiced, it's in the body of Christ. That's an attractive thing to those in the world when they see you and I caring for each other. We need to be prepared to care for the caregivers. With that, we have to be realistic and realize that we can't take on all burdens. I can't take on all burdens as a counselor and, and I try to help them identify their strength and I try to provide a, a skip in the roll so they can clear their minds and refocus on taking things that they can do something about and prioritizing those and doing one thing at a time until they get their confidence and they can do what they need to do when they need to do it. We see at some level all of us are those kind of counselors. And we can care for the caregivers. We have to have these kind of conversations you can preach sermons from the Scriptures all the day long, but until we make application to say, here's where we live and these are the needs that are obvious and, and these are the folks who are, are burdened down with things and this is what the law requires, spiritually speaking. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You ever tried to lift something? Couldn't do it. And someone say, let me help you with that. They get one end and you get the other. You pick it up and move it. Wow. Emotionally, sometimes we experience those things. This afternoon, we're going to spend time developing this a little more in the sense of spiritual CPR. Where we help bring back to life those that are struggling. But in this hour, I hope we have reflected on the importance of us looking about the body of Christ and knowing each other well enough, developing relationships strong enough where we can say, just let me help. Don't want to take over your responsibilities. Don't want to get in your way. But just allow me the privilege of hoeing a small skip in your row just long enough for you to catch up. That's all I'm asking. Can we do that? You see, when judgment comes, here's what's described, and then the lesson will be yours. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, the, the Lord has this triumphant return where He calls all nations before Him and He separates as a shepherd would divide the sheep from the goats. And those on his right hand, he said, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the earth. And then he said something. 
Listen to him. He said, I was hungry. Are you listening? And you fed me. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. And you came to me. I was in prison. And you visited me. And those on the right hand responded the way you would respond, the way I would respond. Lord, when did we see you in those conditions? And do those kind things for you. And he said, when you did it unto the least of one of these, you did it unto me. So you see, when we're helping each other, we're not just helping each other. We're helping Christ. What would he do if he were here? He would do what we're doing. That's the mind that we have to have, the, the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And see, Judgment Day is certainly going to be based on whether or not we were sound in doctrine. It's going to be based on whether we were faithful in our attendance and our worship. But it's also going to be based on our carrying out those things in everyday life. That's who we are. That's what he expects. And you see, when you do those kind things for each other, it's like doing it for him. We won't spend time rehearsing it, but you know it's there. Those on his left hand will not enter heaven. They'll not be in his presence eternally because they did none of those things. Oh, the response was, Lord, if we'd known it was you, when did we see you and neglect those things? And he said, when you did it not unto me, you did it not unto them, you did it not unto me. What a beautiful thing it is for me to have grown up in a large family. We had a blast. When Brother Brown was talking about he and his sister caring for his parents, I thought, you know, it's just the two of them. I had ten brothers and sisters to help me care for my parents. Look at how many we have in the body of Christ at Midway to help take care of each other. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that who we are? Shouldn't we be, have the mindset of, of taking care of each other? Let us mind our own business, but offer and be available to provide that respite. That refreshing moment like Onesiphorus. That comfort wherewith God has comforted us. That skip in the row. When you feel like you can't take another step. It's hopeless. Part of that comfort that God provides for us is this. Redemption of our soul. You see that comfort is provided to all of us the same way. It's not one way to you and another way to me. Listen to these words in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 26, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're no more Jew nor Greek. 
No more bond to free. No more male to female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ, then are we Abraham's seed. And here it is. And heirs according to the promise. And being heirs means that we recognize we share a family together. We have comfort together. And we comfort each other together. Based on your faith that Jesus is God's Son, you're willing to turn away from your sins in repentance, your lips confessing His name before those who are assembled, your will being submitted to His in baptism, you can enter that family. You can arise to walk in newness of life, sharing that family with someone who is hoeing the row next to you and doesn't mind at all in hoeing their row and a skip in yours when it's necessary. That's a beautiful thought to have. Those of us who are children of God, from time to time we love each other when we assemble. We put announcements on the screen and in the bulletin we have names that we pray about. But sometimes we never get fully to the point where we are fitly joined together. By that which every joint supplieth. It's at that point when we know, we comprehend, we experience, we're confident that we're caring for the caregivers. Because that's who we are. And that's what we do. We beat with one heart because we have the mind of Christ. If we can assist and help you this morning, let that be known while we stand and while we